It's good to be with you all this morning and to open up the Word of God with you. This morning, as we continue our series through the book of Philippians, I want to begin with a story, a story from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, that uh, really embodies the point of today's text for us. And in John, chapter 13, we read about Jesus. It was the last supper. The disciples didn't know that yet, but Jesus took a towel, he wrapped it around his waist, and poured some water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet and wipe them dry with the towel, taking the place of the servant. And he did this one, two, three, four, until he came to Peter. And Peter objected or he didn't think that it was right for his master to wash his feet. Well, Jesus answered, he says, if, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. He needed this cleansing and Jesus was making a point here as, as we'll go on to see. I guess you could say Peter changed his mind when he heard that. He was that all-in kind of guy. He's like, wash my head and wash my hands, wash all of me. And Jesus, God the Son, continued washing all the disciples' feet. And when he was finished, this is what he said in John chapter 13, verse 13 and on. He said, you call me... Teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I share you this story because it captures the theme of today's text. For both in our text this morning and here also, humility is not something that is simply talked about or taught but it is lived by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, as we look at Philippians and chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, we see that the humility God commands of His people is most clearly seen in the example of our Lord. And not just that, it's only possible because of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the sole foundation of our salvation. It is 100% of His work and His grace working in us. So that Christ enables us to follow Him. 
in verse 5 of our text, we're told that the mind, the attitude we're to have is the attitude of Jesus. The very Jesus who is equal with God, who humbled himself and did not use his own his privileges for his own purposes, was born as a man, came to serve, and yes, even to die a cursed death on a cross to redeem us from our sin. The way of the master is the way of humility. So let us then, if we call ourselves the people of God, be sure to follow him in humility. Let us follow our master and Lord in the way of humility. I'm going to read uh, Ephesians chapter 2, or Philippians, not Ephesians. Be a little bit confused there. I'm sure, I actually, Ephesians 5, 2 verse 5 is great, but Philippians 2 verse 5 to 11. And we'll look first at verse 5. We have this exhortation that we're given, this command. And then we have the example in verses 6 to 11 of Jesus Christ. So verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2 begins this way. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, or which is in Christ Jesus. There's two ways you could translate that. But have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, verse 5 here forms a link between the previous paragraph and, and the one that we're going to consider today. So, Look back a little bit at the exhortation that we were given and talked about last week in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. And Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4 is an exhortation to unity. In verse 2, we are told to be of the same mind, that we ought to have the same love, and to be of one accord and one mind. And we considered what that looks like. And we saw in verses 3 and 4 that this is um, that in humility, we are to think of others ahead of ourselves. And to willingly look out, verse 4, uh, for their interests, not merely our own. So there's an aspect where we, we do need to take care of our business and the things that we have. The Lord has us to do, but we are to think not merely of ourselves. And this is a part of humility. And in these verses, we see that the unity that we are to have in the spirit always comes along with humility and love. Taking the place of, of a servant and willing to serve. So in verse 5, Paul exhorts the believers in what better way than to think this way among yourselves, the thinking, thinking as in Christ Jesus. 
Here we're told that our thinking and our attitude is to be the thinking that Jesus had and the thinking of those who know him. That those who know Jesus ought to display his thinking, his attitude, his posture in life. And the rest of the passage then lays out the example of Jesus after whom we are to think and act. So let's go to verses 6 to 11 to consider Christ this morning. Now read now verses 6 all the way to 11. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count his equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So we see that Jesus' example is quite naturally divided. Three verses talk of Christ's humiliation and three of his exaltation. We'll consider first in verses 6 through 8, Christ's humiliation. And I know we just read it, but I want to read again verse 6. We have this in our mind. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count his equality with God a thing to be grasped. First of all, notice what the text says about Christ's pre-incarnate state. Before he became a man, before he took on flesh, says he existed in the form of God. And the text also speaks of his equality with God. Another place that we see this is in the Gospel of John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Always existed. And the Word was with God. And the word was God. And then we read about this word who is in the beginning, who is God, who is yet distinct in some way from the Lord, from God. That's an interesting way of saying it. I could backtrack that, but we won't go down that road this morning. It's. We are told that this same word in verse 14 of John chapter 1, this same word who was with God and who was God, 
and is God, became flesh and dwelt among us. The mystery of the incarnation is that in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Colossians 2, verse 9. And we begin to see how profound the incarnation really is that, that God, uh, Jesus is 100% God and yet 100% man at the same time. When we, when we see that He is God. John MacArthur wrote, without forsaking or in any way diminishing his perfect deity or his absolute holiness, the Creator took on the form of the created. The infinite became finite. Think of the, the humility and the love that was shown in that Jesus Christ, the infinite creator, took on the form of his creation and became a man. In our text, Paul highlights the humility of Christ this way. Though he was in the form of God, he was equal with God, he did not consider his equality with God as something to take advantage of. Instead, he made himself nothing by taking the place of a servant and becoming a man. He continues on, but that's Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. And we have several things going on here parallel to, to each other. First, in, in verse 6, we have Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. And we have a, a negative. He did not consider his equality with God as something to be grasped or to be taken advantage of. And then we have in verse 7, a, a positive. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, coming as a man, being obedient to the Father to the point of death. So we're going to consider that. Firstly, we see this in verse uh, 6, that Christ did not take advantage of his divine privileges as king of kings. He could have exercised his divinity for himself when he was tempted by Satan in Matthew chapter 4 to turn stones into bread. But he did not Consider his equality with God as something to be grasped hold of or taken advantage of. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he could have exercised his divinity in calling 12 legions of angels to save him from the cross. But our Lord did not consider his equality with God as something 
take advantage of. Paul uses this same word to consider in verse 3. A couple verses before. And there we read that we are to, in humility, consider one another as more significant than yourself. I believe it's no small thing that Paul then uses that same word in in talking about the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we have the Lord Jesus, the most significant being in the universe, the creator of the world. One with the Father and the Spirit. Who did not once consider his status and his glory as something to use for his own gain. Instead, he did everything in willing obedience to the Father so that we might be saved through his death and resurrection. Jesus considered others ahead of himself, and so he did not take advantage of his rights and his glory. So the first thing we see going on is that he did not use all that he had and all that he was for himself. As Paul wrote in Romans chapter 15, verse 3, he did not please himself. So that's the first thing that we see. Christ did not live for himself. And secondly, going on, he emptied himself, verse 7, by taking the place of a servant. Instead of using all that he had for himself, he gave all that he had for us. Now, in coming to earth, we need to be clear that the scripture testifies Jesus did not become less God or half God, half man or something. Rather, he added to himself humanity so that his glory was veiled and that mankind, even his own, the people of Israel, they did not recognize him. But there were those who believed in him and and saw his glory, John says. And, And indeed, John saw the veil ripped back on the mountain when Jesus shone like the brightness of the sun and Elijah and Moses came down. Jesus was never not that glorious God, but he was veiled in humanity. He took on flesh and he took the place of a servant. He performed miracles and he taught and he led his disciples as the Lord who serves. He experienced life in a fallen world as a man. And we're talking about the almighty God 
who did not cease for one moment to be the God who made the galaxies. And as if that wasn't enough to show the love of God and his humility, his humiliation, we are told that he humbled himself in obedience even to death on a cross. He obeyed, he went willingly even to die a cursed death. We read in the book of the law, I can't remember the reference, I should have looked it up. Go read the books of the law and find it for me. Um, that to be hung on a tree was to be cursed. And Paul picks up on this in Galatians in chapter 3. And in God's irony, that's how the curse was broken. But this was a humiliation to, in the eyes of all those who saw the Lord Jesus Christ. How could this be the Lord hanging on the tree? The people laughed. Save yourself, they said. But Jesus had to endure the curse, the shame, the agonizing pain, and the full weight of the wrath of God. He humbled himself to do this. He didn't have to die. He did not deserve to die, but he died out of willing obedience to the Father and love for you and I. How's that for a description of humility? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus died so that you might have eternal life as a free gift that He did not consider His equality with God as something to lay hold of, but that he emptied himself. He took the place of a servant. He went to the cross. Our salvation rests on this reality. Apart from this, there is no true humility. There is no transformation in our hearts. As Jesus said, you know, we need to be born again, right? We need to always, always remember that only Jesus who died for us can transform us into a people who then live as He lived. That it is through Him that we might receive His Spirit and be enabled to walk with Him. But as equal as we must remember, this is the foundation. Apart from this, apart from me, I, you can do nothing. Jesus said. We must also remember the example of our Lord. If Jesus did not consider his equality with God as something to be grasped, something to be laid hold of, to be used for his own gain, 
neither should we live for ourselves. If he was willing to become a man, to stoop down from the heights of heaven to the place of his servant, even to death, then shouldn't we be willing to stoop down from our foolish pride, that little pedestal we stick ourselves on, and we're still so puny. Shouldn't we serve others with the love that the Lord Jesus has for us, which he has given to us? You see, the way of the master is the way of humility. He came to serve and to give his life. Mark chapter 10, verse 14 or 15. And so we are called to walk that same path, considering others ahead of ourselves. But death is not the end of the story of Jesus, is it? And so we read in verses 9 to 11, this wonderful, wonderful truth that God has highly exalted him, verse 9, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise God. That Jesus Christ has been given the name that is above every name. That the Lord of all is exalted. He who died for us has been raised to life. No longer is Jesus' glory hidden. For he is now revealed in heaven as Lord. You know, Paul quotes here in saying that every knee should bow and every tongue confess. Paul is quoting from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 45, where we read this about the Lord in verse 22. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. From my mouth is gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord shall it be said of me our righteousness and strength. What a powerful reminder of the glory of Christ. That here Paul demonstrates this is the Lord God exalted before whom all should worship. And he calls that we might turn to him and be saved. That we might recognize him as Lord. This is the God that we serve. This Glorious God who humbled himself so that we might be raised up with him. This God who is exalted above all. 
How should we respond to such good news? Well, first of all, we ought to seek Him. Turn to Him for salvation. And as one, who sees the glory of God, sees that He is the creator of all, we should worship the glory of Christ and the wonder of His condescension, His coming down to live among us. And die for us who were rebels all is the most wonderful of mysteries. To see his worthiness in the midst of our unworthiness. To turn to him. This is what transforms us from people consumed with pleasing ourselves into those who humbly worship and follow Him. Do you see the beauty of Christ in His humility? This is the Lord of all. He died for you. Worship Him, for He is Lord. He is God and there is no other. Praise God for Jesus' humility that through His coming to earth and living among us and dying that death that we deserved on the cross, we might be saved. Praise God that He has been revealed as Lord, that He is the exalted One. Christ's example ought to lead us to worship. If we read these things as just any other thing, oh, it's something that happened, or whatever, to see the glory of God, the beauty of His humiliation and His exaltation that He is Lord. And as Christ's example leads us to worship, Christ's example also requires that we follow in His example. Remember verse verse. Five begins, our passage begins, have this mind which is in Christ or which is yours in Christ. We cannot rightly read the following verses after this without then in some way thinking about how Christ's example demonstrates his attitude and his heart and his thinking. And how he lived out verses 1 through through 4. 
but not just thinking of this, but seeking to walk according to his ways. To pay close attention to Christ's humility, his love, how he took the place of a servant so that we might do the same. I began by sharing the story of Jesus, the Lord of all, washing the disciples' feet. Do you remember what he said to the disciples? Afterwards, he said that he he was doing this as an example for them to follow in. In verse 16, no servant is above his master. The reality is that Jesus is Lord and we are not. And if you read this story and somehow think otherwise, then we've gotten it mixed up. So the one who calls himself a disciple of Christ must follow in his example. And this comes from a heart that has been transformed by the Spirit of God. From one who has turned to this Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Trusting in Him alone. Jesus did not come so that we might exalt ourselves. Or so that we could please ourselves. He came so that we might know and love him and so love others just as he himself has loved us by laying aside our rights and setting aside our own glory taking the place of a servant being willing to to love and to obey God even in death By doing these things, we honor and reflect our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. The way of our Master is is the way of humility. And those who serve Him will follow Him. 